only is there a broad range of research demonstrating its effectiveness for improving your physiological and psychological health, but it's non-invasive and free. You're doing it right now. The missing ingredient might just be your intentionality. Breathing. You're listening to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, the show that blends science and heart to bring you evidence-based tips and tricks for cultivating a healthy, wealthy, and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, therapist, yogi, and fellow full-life balancer, Dr. Caitlin Harkis. Hey there, welcome back to Wisdom for Wellbeing. I am really excited about this episode because breathing is something that you have no doubt heard about both on here on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast and I imagine in your life as well because we are talking more and more about breathing, breath work. It is one of the most cost-effective mental health practices that you can cultivate. Now, I recently wrote an article for Psychology Today called The Most Effective Mental Health Practice, The Evolutionary Context of a Therapeutic Breathing Practice. And that is what I'm going to be sharing with you here today. So if you would prefer to indulge in a written article to actually access this this wisdom, you can head to Psychology Today. And if you search my name or you search breathing practice, cost-effective, it will come up. I'll also have a link in the show notes. However, if you are someone who likes to listen along and really hear the wisdom points, the takeaway points, keep those earbuds in and follow along now. So the key points that we are going to be addressing is that you can control your breath as it rests on the border of the conscious and the unconscious. There are not many other processes in your life, certainly in terms of the areas under control of your sympathetic nervous system that you can actually change, right? It's really hard to change, at least I'm not able to, where the blood is being diverted to in your body or how quickly or slowly you're digesting food. However, your breath, right? If you start to think about your breath right now, you can actually influence and transform your breathing pattern. Another key point is that stress turns on your fight or flight response, which is an unconscious evolutionary response. Unconscious means that something tells your system this is not safe and that's what turns on the fight or flight response. It's unconscious. It's not something you're controlling. You can perceive neutral stimuli as threats. So for instance, getting a text message from your boss or having to make an uncomfortable phone call. These might on the surface be neutral. However, because your body um, might have inflammation, it can communicate danger to your brain. So inflammation in your body essentially tells your brain to start to look out for threats in the environment more than it might otherwise. And that's why neutral stimuli can be misinterpreted because from an evolutionary perspective, right? It is better to respond as if something is a threat than to sit back idly when you might become lunch or you might be attacked. So it's better to go in with that heightened response. However, we live in a very different environment. You know, the chances of us becoming a tiger's lunch or being attacked by a competing clan are much more limited today. We also have a key point that diaphragmatic breathing can stimulate your vagus nerve and induce a relaxation response, which 
influences your neural, say brain, your endocrine and immune processes. This is how mind and body are connected. This is how your mind, your psychological state can influence your health status. We know that these areas, your neural, endocrine and immune system are all connected and your diaphragmatic breathing can be kind of this message system between them. So let's dive in. There is a mental health and hygiene practice that you should be doing at least as regularly as brushing your teeth. I know I've already given it away, right? Not only is there a broad range of research demonstrating its effectiveness for improving your physiological and psychological health, but it's non-invasive and free. You're doing it right now. The missing ingredient might just be your intentionality, breathing. Your breath rests on the border of the conscious and the unconscious. Now that it has your attention, you're more likely aware of it and may even find yourself changing its flow. Moments ago, perhaps not so much, yet you were still breathing. This is because your breath is controlled by your autonomic nervous system, the ANS. The same system, your ANS, controls your heart rate, blood flow, and digestion, amongst other bodily functions. These systems speed up or slow down as your body attempts to cultivate homeostasis. Homeostasis is the word for your internal balance. The ANS, the autonomic nervous system, is divided into two parts. The sympathetic nervous system, the SNS, and the parasympathetic nervous system, the PNS. When you sense danger, your sympathetic nervous system elicits a fight or flight response. In contrast, a really safe and calm environment evokes your parasympathetic nervous system, a rest and digest response. Like most unconscious processes, these responses are evolutionarily driven with a focus on survival. You do not get to choose which system takes the physiological reins because on the savannah, a moment of hesitation would have seen you landed in the jaws of a tiger. The challenge is that in our modern world, we're dealing with emails rather than tigers and our evolved brains frequently, very frequently, imagine detailed catastrophes. Everything that could go terribly, horribly wrong will no doubt come to the forefront of your mind. While these images, these evoked details, they exist only in your mind, these imaginings do still turn on that same fight or flight response, even though you can't run from these fears, right? They're in your brain. <laughs> so given that stress levels are rising globally, we know that the sympathetic nervous system is likely being turned on regularly. Remember that they're paired. And this means that the sympathetic nervous system for some individuals, perhaps yourself, could even be chronically engaged, frequently turned on, chronically turned on. The sympathetic nervous system has very high energetic demands, resulting in a high allostatic load. So this means the demands placed on your body psychophysiologically. The heavier it is, the more vulnerable you are to physical and psychological ails. So both poor physical and mental health. 
So what is the mind-body connection? Well, Western science has long, long disbanded the historical dichotomy between the mind and body. Fields like psychoneuroimmunology, PNI, evolved reflecting how bidirectional pathways connect the brain and immune system and provide the foundation for neural, endocrine, and behavioral effects on immunity. This means that stress not only leaves your heart pumping and pupils dilated, but increases your susceptibility to immunologically mediated diseases. In practical terms, what this means is that you're more likely to get sick after a period of high stress. No, getting sick after exams or following a big project deadline is not ideal. And if you're anything like me, I know I've definitely been in bed duvet diving after exams and the like. Yet, what is more concerning is that when the stress is unrelenting, chronic stress. Within the field of psychoneuroimmunology, we understand that chronic stress is recognized as a significant contributor to coronary heart disease, cancer, lung ailments, accidental injuries, cirrhosis of the liver, and suicide. Increased levels of inflammation actually mark this, so we can physiologically measure when an individual might be experiencing chronic stress. The purpose of the increased inflammation is that historically high levels of stress signaled that one could be more vulnerable to an infection. For instance, if a tiger bit you or you got a battle wound. Given the bi-directional nature of your body's communication system, these immune markers then utilized a common molecular language to tell your brain that your immune system is activated. Whoa, so the brain interprets this as a warning sign to be on alert. Suddenly, you're more likely to perceive otherwise neutral stimuli as threats, like that ambiguous text message or email, and you'll become more stressed, perhaps experiencing then clinical levels of anxiety going on to a depressive episode. So we know from um, studies that examine the directionality of experience, high stress, then makes one vulnerable to clinical levels of anxiety, and then one is vulnerable to a depressive episode. So that's the trajectory. This further impacts the biophysiological systems of your body naturally. Given that your brain evolved to scan for environmental threats and your body evolved to react in consort, what's the antidote? Well, your breath, right? You knew we were going here. Remember that it rests on the border of the conscious and the unconscious. So while you probably cannot consciously slow your heart rate or normalize your immune function, you can control your breath. Used effectively, it can break the change between various behavioral, neural, endocrine, and immune processes unfolding in your body. Chances are, too, that you've recently heard a lot about breathwork. From the seemingly superhuman feats of the Iceman Wolf Hoff to the best-selling book Breath by James Nestor, folks are coming to understand that the breath has power. But why? The current hypotheses around the mechanisms identified the stimulation of the vagal nerve through respiration. So the vagus nerve, your vagus nerve, is the biggest nerve in your body. And it is the primary nerve of your parasympathetic nervous system, that rest and digest response. So it's governing the rest and digest response. 
when it's toned, so when your vagus nerve is toned like a muscle, you are physiologically more able to shift back into a relaxed state following a sympathetic nervous system trigger. This relaxation response has long been coveted as a vital antidote to stress. The result is that your system experiences less allostatic load, so less pressure on the system. Knowing chronic stress's damaging effects, this could be a mortality buffering state, meaning that if you are able to cultivate this rest and digest function, if you're able to enhance your vagal tone, you might be able to live a longer, healthier life. Interestingly, Respiratory vagal nerve stimulation, RVNS, captures one's mechanisms for the broad psychoneuroimmunological benefits associated with contemplative practices. So this means that meditation, body-based exercises like yoga and Tai Chi might have their benefit through this vagal nerve stimulation. So not only do I teach breathing to both invigorate or relax individuals on the yoga mat, which we in that context would call pranayama, but breathing exercises are very, very much a part of the clinical interventions that would show up in the therapy room. This is because you can affect your emotional state by changing your breath, by changing your breathing. I'm going to suggest that if you're experiencing chronic stress, like so many members of our population, you start by exploring diaphragmatic breathing. This is also called belly breathing. When you slowly draw the breath down into your belly and then gently release it with a slightly longer exhale, all the while using your nose to breathe, you'll be able to cultivate this diaphragmatic breathing state. I'm going to talk you through it quickly now, essentially supporting you to cultivate a rhythm and flow that will feel healthful and helpful to you physiologically and psychologically. And I would very much encourage you to go to the show notes or to head to drcaitlin.com where you can actually see a link through to the Psychology Today article that I have been essentially reading to you today, as well as a subsequent article that talks you through an example of breathing exercises being used in the therapy room and through diaphragmatic breathing itself. So you can find that all in the show notes where you're listening or at drcaitlin.com. In terms of your own diaphragmatic breathing practice now, please put one hand on your heart if you're not driving and one hand on your belly. As you draw the breath in through the nose, see where in your body you're breathing to. Is the hand on your chest, on your heart rising and falling? Or is it the hand on the belly or a little bit of both? What we are aiming to cultivate with this awareness now is for the hand on your chest, on your heart to slow, to find stillness, while the hand on the belly starts moving. As you're drawing that breath down into your diaphragm, letting the belly expand out and draw back in. Cultivating a low, so low in your body, down to your breath, low, slow, flow of breath. As you breathe through your nose, you are sending a message to your nervous system that you're okay. Breathing through your mouth is a panic response. When you are running from that tiger, when you are in that fight, flight, or flee mode, you're going to breathe through your mouth because you've just got to get more oxygen into your body to fuel that extra blood being pumped to your arms and your legs. 
breathing through your nose, you've got a filtration system set up, right? There's mucus, there's nose hairs, all those delightful, disgusting, yet effective functions of the human body. It's a filtration system when we are safe for breathing through our nose. So always breathing in through your nose when you are not sick or have a cold, when you have the ability to, because that sends a message of relaxation. And then breathing out through your nose if that's possible, otherwise breathing out through your mouth if that feels better for you. Start to draw that breath down into your belly, a low, slow flow, and then to exhale slowly through your nose, slightly extending that exhale. The exhale is considered to pair with your relaxation response, with the rest and digest response. So as we slow our exhale, our body starts to slow. We know we're safe. When we're in the midst of a panic attack, an anxiety attack, chances are we're breathing in more oxygen, breathing in more air. It's actually in slowing our exhale that we cultivate relaxation and we start to balance the oxygen and the carbon dioxide levels in the body, which leads us to that state of relaxation. Give it a go have a little bit of fun with it. And if you are enjoying these episodes, if you're finding them helpful, please subscribe, share with a friend, particularly with breathing, right? Like who doesn't need a little bit more relaxation in their lives? Perhaps this could be the information that they need. I look forward to connecting with you next week on Wisdom for Wellbeing. Thank you again for being here with breath, with wishes for well-being. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. Please visit drcaitlin.com to connect, find show notes, other episodes, and to subscribe. While you're at it, if you find value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating or perhaps simply tell a friend about the show. Wisdom for Wellbeing is not a substitute for professional, individualized mental health treatment. If you are in crisis, please contact 000, your local emergency number if you are outside of Australia, or attend your local hospital ED.